0: Hi, I'm Dr. Will Bostock from Cambridge Progressive Medicine. This podcast aims to assist you in taking control of your own health, well-being and happiness using a combination of Western medicine, psychotherapy, thought work and lifestyle. The podcasts are designed to be used in conjunction with working face-to-face with me, but I've made them freely available and you're welcome to listen to them independently. And if you do, I hope you find them helpful. If you would like to work directly with me, you can visit my website at www.cambridgeprogressivemedicine.com. Poor sleep is a sure sign. A common early warning that we have lost balance in our lives. It is also a key area that can be responsible for lack of balance. It is a vicious circle. If we don't sleep well, we will feel anxious and bad. But feeling anxious and bad can stop us from sleeping. Even if you don't feel that sleep is an issue for you, I would still recommend having a think about your sleeping habits. As invariably, all of us have room for improvement, across many aspects of our lives. Even if you don't sleep badly, it is possible that you might be able to sleep better. Sufficient good quality sleep is essential for good well-being. And if we don't get adequate sleep, we will struggle to be well. Sleep is not just being unconscious, it is an active process. It is during sleep that we lay down our memories, tidy up our minds and prepare for the next day. It is during sleep that our bodies restore equilibrium, heal and repair. If we miss out on this active process, our bodies and minds will not run as they should. I like to compare this to servicing a car. If you fail to properly clean and service your car, over time it will start to run rough, and eventually break down altogether. Because of this, poor sleep does not just make us feel tired and sleepy. It has knock-on effects throughout many aspects of our lives. It can lead to poor concentration and poor motivation. It can impair our immune systems and make us more susceptible to infections, illnesses or bad skin. It interferes with our hormone levels and balance. One example of this is with the hormones leptin and ghrelin. Ghrelin is a hunger hormone and high levels increase our appetite and make us eat more whilst leptin is the opposite. It is a satiety hormone and increasing levels make us feel full and reduce our appetite. We know that during good quality sleep, leptin levels increase and ghrelin levels fall. With sleep deprivation, the opposite happens. This means that if we don't sleep well, we will constantly feel hungry and crave high energy foods. If we are not sleeping properly, we are at risk of becoming overweight, and it is extremely difficult to lose weight without good quality sleep. This is just one example, and there are thousands of other processes and systems that can be affected by poor sleep. For this reason, when we start to think about restoring balance in our lives, sleep is always a good place to start. If you are not sleeping well, you will struggle to feel well, regardless of what you do while you're awake. Like everything in life, there is a spectrum of sleep difficulties. Thinking about sleep is not just for insomniacs. All of us stand to benefit from improving our sleep. Sometimes people tell me they have no problem with sleep. They get a solid eight hours a night, but are still feeling tired and unwell. Or they have the opposite problem of too much sleep. They are sleeping all the time. In this situation, I suspect that there is still a problem with sleep. It is likely that these people are getting poor quality sleep. We need to think about both sleep quality as well as quantity. In recognising the importance of sleep, we must be careful that we don't create more anxiety around it. Anxiety and sleep are not friends. There is a danger that in learning about the huge benefits of sleep and the potential harms of not sleeping, we will create stress around sleep that in turn stops us from getting to sleep. When it comes to sleep, the vicious circles are everywhere. This is why I've taken so long to give any practical advice in this series. Remember, positive change must always start with our thoughts. If we are going to start making improvement in our lives, we need to manage our minds. When learning about sleep and any other lifestyle advice, We need to practice seeing it as a positive step, as information that empowers us and gives us hope, rather than a damning judgment highlighting our past and possible future failings. These thoughts are just thoughts, and we can learn to change them and choose helpful ones. If sleep anxiety is a problem for you, I want you to practice your thought ladder. If you are lying awake thinking, I've tried all of Dr Bostock's advice, and I'm still not sleeping. Nothing is ever going to work. I'm never going to get better. Try thinking instead, I've had this problem for years, it's not going to get better overnight. Or, it is better to be doing something than nothing. Try to work your way up to a target thought of something like, I'm going to get my sleep sorted, and I'm going to be okay. A helpful step on this ladder for me, in the dead of night, is, Even if I don't fall asleep at all, if I just lie here peacefully, my body will be getting some rest. I'll get through tomorrow, and then I get another chance tomorrow night. If you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, you should go back and listen to episode 11. Despite these vicious circles, it is possible for us to have some influence on the quality of our sleep. There are practical things that we can do to promote healthy sleep. We call this sleep hygiene. I'm not going to go through all of the advice in detail here, but instead I'm going to give a rough overview and highlight some key factors. First off, how much sleep do we need? Well, that's different from person to person. But in general, studies have shown that humans need between seven and nine hours a night. If you are regularly getting less than seven hours, it is likely that you are not getting enough. If you are getting eight hours a night but still feel tired, it may still not be enough, and like me, your system is more towards the nine hour end. In that case, it might be worth increasing your sleep and observing the effect. There is also such a thing as too much sleep. All of us have had the experience of lying in too long at the weekend and making ourselves feel unwell. As always, It's all about balance. You need to experiment and find out what is the right amount for you, and this may change with time. In general, the older we get, the less sleep we tend to need. It is important to note that this minimum of seven hours is not the amount of time we are in bed, but the time we are actually asleep. Most of us do not fall asleep the minute we get into bed, and often we wake up before we get up. In addition, most people will wake up a few times during the night. This does not necessarily mean that you are not sleeping well, and it is considered to be a normal part of sleep. Some people can get anxious about waking in the night, believing that a good night's sleep means sleeping solidly through. But this is not true, and waking up in the night is fine if we are able to get back over. What it does mean, though, is that when planning our sleep, we need to consider a sleep window. This should be at least 30 to 45 minutes more than the number of hours of actual sleep we want. Eight hours of good quality sleep probably requires at least eight and a half hours in bed. The concept of a sleep window brings us to an important step to improving our sleep habits, scheduling and routine. With everything in life, if we want to be successful, we need to make a plan. Unless we do things with intention, the outcome will be unpredictable. If we need to get eight hours sleep to be well, we need to ensure that we provide ourselves with the opportunity to achieve this. That means thinking about what time we need to be up and ensuring that we're in bed early enough to make it possible. If we have to catch a train at seven, we need to go to bed before ten. This may seem pretty obvious and is hardly earth-shattering news, but the key here is priorities. For many of us, the reason we don't get as much sleep as we should is because we are busy. Often people work late, have long commutes and early starts. Sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day. Sleep is often pretty low down in our list of priorities. It is one of the first things we sacrifice when our schedules start to fill up. We might sacrifice a few hours of sleep for the sake of fitting in work commitments, the gym, socialising, or just time to unwind. Now, I'm not saying we should never do this, and of course, life is busy, but we need to be mindful of it. Humans are creatures of habit, and if we start to regularly sacrifice sleep for other aspects of our lives, this can have far-reaching consequences. Because of how crucial sleep is to our well-being, it is worth thinking carefully if you have prioritised it correctly. There is a big risk of a false economy when it comes to sleep. And it may be that spending an extra hour checking emails when you could be sleeping comes at a higher price than you think. I would recommend making sleep one of your top priorities, as you may find it increases your efficiency and productivity throughout multiple aspects of your life. If you have an iPhone, it has a bedtime feature, where you can set the time you need to get up and your required sleep window. It will then warn you when it's time for you to get into bed. Before my iPhone died, I used to use it all the time, and I found it really helpful. The other side to the sleep window is the concept of routine. Because humans are creatures of habit, routine is important if we are to form good habits. You should try to go to bed at roughly the same time each evening, and get up at the same time each morning. It can help if you maintain this routine at the weekends as well as during the week. Those of you with children will understand how important routine is to sleep, and also the importance of getting enough sleep. They are just tired is a valid explanation for all manner of distress. But as adults, we forget or ignore what once seemed so obvious, even though the same rule applies. We think we can sacrifice sleep without consequence. Children are more susceptible to their natural rhythms, and as adults, we learn to overcome our natural instincts, inclinations, and emotions. We can better tolerate being hungry, overtired, or delaying gratification. We are socialised to not have a meltdown or a tantrum. But this does not mean that these things are no longer relevant to us. And may remain an essential part of maintaining balance in our lives. So, in order to get the full health benefits from sleep, we need between seven and nine hours a night plus 45 minutes to make up our sleep window, and we should go to bed and get up at roughly the same time each day. That's all very well, but what if you get into bed and then just lie awake looking at the ceiling? There are a range of things we can try and some things that we should avoid, in order to address this. Much of the advice may seem obvious, but once again it is about priorities and being mindful. We may know these things, but nonetheless, we can easily get into habits that are causing poor sleep, sometimes without even realising it. For me, the number one issue is caffeine. Caffeine is one of the few remaining socially acceptable even socially encouraged, mind-altering drugs, that is in common use in our society. I wonder if in the future we will come to view caffeine in the same way that we now view nicotine, and to a lesser extent, alcohol. Whilst alcohol is fairly socially acceptable, it is not normally considered okay to drink three to four beers a day whilst at work. As always, I want to make it clear that this is not a moral issue. I drink coffee. Actually, I'm drinking one whilst writing this. I drink alcohol, and very occasionally, I also enjoy a cigarette. These things are not bad or evil, and we are not sinful for using them. It's just that, as with everything, if we use them to excess, they can disrupt our balance and make us unhappy and unwell. Caffeine is very frequently overused. We know that caffeine interferes with our normal sleep. Personally, I'm extremely sensitive to caffeine. If I have a coffee after dinner, I'll lie awake for hours. I know this, and even so, occasionally I fancy a coffee, and then I lie awake for hours, beating myself up for falling into the trap again. I knew the advice, but I was not mindful to it, and did not prioritise it. Some people tell me caffeine has no effect on them. They can drink a double espresso right before bed. And sleep like a log. But studies have shown that even for these people, caffeine is disrupting their sleep. Sleep is not just being unconscious or unaware, it is an active process. Brainwave studies have demonstrated that even small amounts of caffeine prevent us from entering the restful, restorative stages of sleep. We may be unconscious, but we are not getting any of the benefits of healthy sleep, and may wake feeling exhausted and lacking energy. To deal with this, we might turn to caffeine for an extra boost. I told you, those vicious circles are everywhere. The other important thing to realise is that caffeine hangs around in the body much longer than people think. The half life of caffeine is about six hours. What this means is that if you have a cup of coffee at six o'clock in the evening, half of that coffee is still in your system at midnight, and a quarter of it will still be circulating through your brain at 6am the next morning. There is also caffeine in tea, green tea, and even in decaffeinated tea and coffee, although in smaller quantities. In addition to this, caffeine is also a strong diuretic. It makes you pee. If getting up in the night to go to the toilet is contributing to your sleep disturbance, caffeine will be making this worse. Because of its long half life, my recommendation is to avoid caffeine altogether after midday, and as an absolute maximum after 2 pm. And I would recommend limiting it to two cups of tea or coffee a day. It is very easy to get a slow creep, to gradually build up the amount of caffeine we're drinking, and sometimes without even realising it. If we take time to count, often we find we are drinking far more than we thought. This certainly happens to me and I have to frequently take stock and consciously reduce it. Now, if you are currently drinking five to six cups of tea or coffee a day, I wouldn't recommend just going cold turkey. If you do, you are likely to suffer from withdrawal symptoms, such as headaches, which are not going to help you to feel well or to sleep better. Instead, I would recommend weaning slowly over a few weeks. Start by cutting the last cup of the day, and work your way backwards. You could try alternating with decaffeinated tea and coffee or fruit teas. Be careful because some of these will have caffeine so read the labels. Part of the habit is having the hot drink and it'll be easier to cut down if you substitute with something else. The next thing we should try to avoid is alcohol. Many of us use alcohol to unwind or de-stress in the evenings. But brainwave studies have demonstrated that alcohol has a similar effect on our quality of sleep as caffeine. It prevents us from entering the restorative phase of sleep. Most people already know that after a night out on the town, we can feel pretty drained the next day, even if we have slept longer than normal. This effect is present even with small amounts of alcohol, although we may be less aware of it. Like caffeine, alcohol is also a diuretic and will increase the chances of you having to get up in the night to pee. We do clear alcohol from our systems faster than caffeine. As a rough guide, we metabolise approximately one unit an hour, so one pint of beer will take two hours, two pints four hours, and four pints in an evening will wipe out our entire sleep window. If you are having even a single drink most evenings, you could be missing out on the first few hours of quality sleep every night. Whilst I'm not saying you should never enjoy a drink after work, in general, you should avoid alcohol right before bed. Another common culprit for insomnia is screen time. It is very tempting to scroll on our phones, use laptops or watch TV late at night. Screens are especially harmful because of the blue light they emit. This light tricks the brain into thinking it is morning and makes us more alert. It suppresses the release of the sleep-inducing hormone melatonin. The general advice is to avoid screens for around two hours before bed. The other problem with scrolling is that it activates our minds when we should be winding down. Constantly having our phones with us means that we are always available and always switched on. Our work, family and social lives come with us into the bedroom. Your phone can ping just as you are switching out the lights And the next thing, we find ourselves replying to a text or email, switching our minds back on and eating into our sleep window. Sometimes I think even the knowledge of having your phone next to you, that it might go off at any time, can cause us to be restless. Recently, I have self-imposed a blanket ban on taking my phone upstairs. I move my charger into the kitchen and plug it in once I get home. I'd really recommend trying this, It has made my bedroom a much more peaceful place. A frequent objection to this suggestion is needing the phone for an alarm clock. I made the same objection for several months before getting my act together. But you can buy an alarm clock for a few pounds, so it is not an excuse that would stand up in a court of law. What I ended up doing, and what I would highly recommend to you, is to try a sunrise alarm clock. These have a natural warm light that gradually brightens over half an hour to simulate a natural sunrise. The idea is that you wake up more naturally rather than being jolted awake in the middle of a sleep cycle. It's been amazing, especially during these dark winter months. When my alarm used to jerk me awake into pitch darkness, it felt like if I got out of bed I would actually die. It was a horrible way to start the day. My dog, asleep at the end of my bed, would lift her head and look at me as if to say, What are you doing, you idiot? It's the middle of the night. She would give a big sigh and snuggle back down to sleep. Dogs seem to know a thing or two about living well. With the sunrise alarm, I wake up much more naturally and feel ready for the day ahead. Many versions also have a sunset feature, where the light gradually dims, providing an unwinding time, preparing you for sleep. My older model doesn't do this, but my sister absolutely loves this feature. I have a Lumi clock, because it turned out that my partner already had one in her attic. These are fairly expensive, at around £75-£100, but there are plenty of cheaper versions available. If you use one of these, it would be great if you could let me know how you get on with it, by dropping me an email or leaving a comment on my website. It is always handy to have some inside information on good quality, cost-effective alternatives. Another objection I sometimes get to leaving the phone behind is not being able to use apps designed to promote sleep. There are lots of different sleep apps available, from bedtime stories for adults to relaxing sounds and guided meditations. Obviously, if you've left your phone downstairs, you won't be able to use them. One solution might be to put your phone on aeroplane mode rather than leaving it behind. I found the guided meditations for sleep on Headspace really helpful, especially the progressive muscle relaxation techniques, and this is something I would also recommend trying. While we're on the topic, several people have openly admitted to me that they have not been doing their meditation. This is extremely naughty. I know I said I wouldn't tell you what to do, and that not everything will be for everybody. But I really urge you to try to make meditation a regular daily habit, even if it's just for 5 to 10 minutes. It honestly gets easy with practice, and for me, is a key tool for doing this work. It serves as a daily reminder that we have control over our own minds. It reminds us that the world is peaceful, that humanity is wonderful, and provides a window into our spirituality. It checks us when we are getting swept up in our own minds, restoring purpose and intention to our daily lives. If you are listening to these podcasts out of order, I suggest going back and listening to episode 7 and thinking about making meditation a part of your daily routine. The suggestion of replacing your phone with a sunset alarm goes hand in hand with the more general advice of making your bedroom into a place of rest and relaxation. We should avoid doing anything in our beds other than sleeping, with maybe one or two exceptions. Personally, I like to have a cup of tea in bed at the weekends. The brain is quick to form associations, and if you work or watch TV in the bedroom, you will soon start to associate the bedroom as a place of activity rather than a place of rest. For this reason, it is also recommended that if you are unable to sleep, you should not lie awake restlessly in bed. Instead, you should get up, go downstairs, and read a book and sit peacefully until you start to feel tired, and then return to bed. If you still can't sleep, you should repeat the process. Otherwise, your brain can start to associate the bed as a place of restlessness and anxiety, and we may go to bed each night anxious that we are not going to sleep. Even if as a result of this pattern you are awake for much of the night, you should try to avoid napping during the day. By repeating this process, you may be able to reset your body clock and get your natural rhythm back. I have mostly talked about things we should avoid, but there is plenty of great advice about positive steps we can take to promote good sleep. Such as how much exercise we take and when we take it, what we eat and when we eat making sure the environment in our bedroom is correct. Is it dark? Is it quiet? Is the temperature right? And do we have the right type of mattress? I'm not going to go into detail about all of this here. There are lots of excellent resources that discuss sleep hygiene, and I recommend that you spend some time going through these for yourself. I will leave some links on my website and Facebook page. In addition to this, if sleep is a major problem for you, or if you're interested, I would recommend listening to the podcast Feel Better Live More. If you've not come across this already, you should definitely take a look. It is a popular podcast hosted by TV doctor, Dr Ranjan Chatterjee, in which he interviews experts across a wide range of health and well-being topics. It was Dr Chatterjee that first got me interested in progressive and lifestyle medicine, and it is well worth a listen. There are several very good episodes all about sleep, and I'll post the link to these. Once again, there is a Western medicine-shaped elephant in the room. Unfortunately, this time, it's an ugly beast. I am, of course, talking about sleeping pills. I have spent a considerable amount of time arguing with patients over the prescription of sleeping tablets. People sometimes need a quick fix, or feel that they simply will never sleep without medication. There are essentially two types of sleeping pills, a class called benzodiazepines, such as diazepam, which is Valium, and Z drugs, such as Zopoclone. I don't blame people for wanting these drugs. The reason they want them is because they seem to work. If you take them, you will become unconscious. But unfortunately, they are not the wonder drug we once thought they were. They are not really doing what they should be doing, and they have a lot of unpleasant side effects. As a treatment for sleep disturbance, they have probably caused more harm than good. The most important thing to understand about these medications is that there is a difference between sedation and sleep. As we have said, sleep is an active process. If you take diazepam, you will become unconscious, but you won't be asleep you will not be getting any of the multiple benefits of restful, good-quality sleep. That's why people often feel groggy the next day, rather than refreshed. What is worse is they interfere with normal sleep rhythms, and taking them will actively prevent you from ever being able to achieve healthy sleep. They are also extremely addictive. People crave them, become dependent on them, and feel unwell if they stop taking them. As with many addictive substances, the more we take, the more we need to achieve the same results. We must keep increasing the dose in order to get any rest at all. As we take bigger doses, unpleasant side effects start to appear, the most significant of which is respiratory suppression, which means that they stop people breathing. These are powerful drugs that we use to terminate epileptic seizures and sedate people for surgery. Using them to help us sleep is not normally a good idea, and I rarely prescribe them. As always, this is not a moral issue. Benzodiazepines are not the devil's work. I don't want to be melodramatic about it, and if you have used sleeping tablets, it's not the end of the world. Things are never black and white, and there are times when I do recommend them for short-term use, such as immediately following a traumatic event. But as a general rule, sleeping pills impair rather than restore balance to our bodies and minds. They make us more unwell rather than better. I don't want to end on a negative note. Sleeping pills might not be the answer, but this does not mean there is no hope. You have a lot of homework this week. If you are not doing so already, number one is to start doing some regular meditation. Number two is to be mindful of your sleep both quantity and quality. Do you have an adequate sleep window, sleep environment and routine? Are you prioritising sleep? To help with this, you might want to take a more detailed look at some of the excellent resources out there about sleep and to have a listen to Feel Better Live More. I know that's a lot, but last week all you had to do was look at pictures of baby animals. So go get on with it and I will see you here next time.